Hey, this is Brent Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And sitting across from me today is broadcaster and journalist Mark Hebsher. Hey, now, Hebs, you don't you don't need uh, a big introduction. Everybody, you can call me Hebsy. It's way easier that way. Eh? I love that Hebsy. So we were talking earlier, just before we hit record. That I used to watch Sportsline on global TV when I was I think it was 15 because it went from 84 to 95, right? I went from 84 to 95. The show was 81 to. I'm going to say 2006. Oh, wow. In around there. Yeah. But the original incarnation with Bob McCowan, which morphed into a two man show with Jim Taddy and myself. Yeah. I guess that was the, I don't know, the golden era. I mean, you know, if I, I don't want to pat myself too oh. much on the back, but that was a kind of a revolutionary yeah. time in sports broadcasting. And we kind of hit a little wave there. Definitely. You know, timing's everything and things worked out pretty well. Part of the allure of that show for me growing up up north was the Hebsies. And uh, I, th- I want to say that played once a week every Tuesday, isn't it right? Yeah, originally, I think we started on Mondays originally. Yeah. And then what happened was a lot of the stuff that happened, like Monday night football and stuff like that, or stuff that would have happened really late Sunday mm-hmm. that wouldn't have been processed and recorded until the next day. Right. Mondays was kind of... um. Like it was okay, but the but then we switched it to Tuesdays. It was perfect because we got you got everything from the weekend plus the Monday night football or whatever ball games or something else might have been going Monday or like I said those late West Coast ones that didn't weren't picked up the day before yeah. something to that effect. So it ended up being Tuesdays, but yeah, and then and then I think they wanted it, I think on Sundays they wanted me to do a Sunday version of it, hmm. and I was like, nah, that now you're saturating it. Yeah, and they said let's you know as long as we're at it, let's do a Sunday one as well. And I said, well. I really didn't want to do that. And and I also wanted it to be longer. And I thought like a minute and a half, minute 45 max was good because you leave them wanting more. Yeah. And then also you would see certain plays and go, well, that doesn't qualify for Hebsey. And, and then the producer would say, well, we need to fill time. And I'd say, no, that's not right. I mean, I don't want to cheapen it by saying here's a like a mediocre save by a guy and pretend that that was actually a Hebsey Awards. It really wasn't. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, quality control. Well, and you're right, because once a week, everybody watched it in town, and we would go to school. So it, the show started at 11.30 at night, and the Hebsies were at the very end of the show's last segment. So we would stay up and watch it, and it was 11.55, it went for a couple minutes, and then the next morning, we would sit around before school started and talk about what we saw. Wow. Yeah. And it was a big deal. Now, like did we, you, uh, uh, if you don't mind me asking, did you- did you tape the, like in those days VCRs were yeah. just I guess coming into prominence. I don't want to say everyone had them, but a lot of people had them in the mid to late eighties. We're starting to get them. Yeah. Did you record the show? Like if you couldn't stay up, like or for whatever reason, when you were fifteen, you were allowed to stay yeah. until midnight. Yeah. yeah. Well, you we shouldn't have. <laughs> okay. But again, I mean, we wanted right. to see them that badly because keep in mind we were in Espanola. We we're in the middle of nowhere. Oh, you were in Espanola. Yeah, that's where oh, I grew up. Man, that's a long way. Espanola Eagles. That's right. exactly. Northern Ontario Hockey League. That's right. The worst yeah. team in the league every year, right? <laughs> like real, like, like like so bad that they should have disbanded. That bad. Oh, they have disbanded a couple times. I think. <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry keep, to bring up they, memories. They, they keep coming back. I don't know why. So we were big in Espanola. That's good to know. Oh yeah. Huge. Yeah. But so we didn't tape the show because we just wanted to to see it in real time right away. So, yeah, if we're a little sleepy the next morning, but that was fine. I'm sorry. I was the cause of that. (laughs) Yeah. I used to, uh, people would come up to me, women especially, and say, you know, you're the reason that like I got divorced or you're the reason that uh, my husband (laughs) and I was always groggy in the morning or some stuff like that. Like I was to blame. Yeah. Because they had, because the husband apparently had to stay up to see all the highlights and oh, yeah. everything else, and then they'd be bleary eyed in the morning, like like I was the cause of that. Yeah. I was saying, why was it me? <laughs> Johnny Carson's on at the same time. That's... Ted Koppel's on the same time. Why me? It wasn't nearly as interesting. Oh, thanks. <laughs> 
So, Hebs, you're also an author. You've written a book called The Greatest Athlete You've Never Heard Of. Yeah. And that was about George Washington Orton, I believe, yeah. right? So a guy who did not – what was his story? He was, a, he was Canada's first gold medalist. Yeah. Uh, he was basically – in the 1890s, uh, he was a huge superstar. Yeah. In Toronto, in, in Canada, I guess, you know, for as far as you could – Newspaper coverage could get you or whatever, no radio in those days. Um, and in the United States and specifically Philadelphia. So this mm-hmm. would have been, you know, from like the early 1890s until the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after, you know, setting world records and stuff like that. And again, not on television, no TV, no radio, newspaper accounts, stuff like that. He kind of, fe- I guess he fell out of favor with Canadians because he moved to Philadelphia. Ah. And at the time, I think a lot of Canadians were like, Hey, you're going to the United States. They're the ones who fought the British. We hate those. You know, those bastards. And mm-hmm. so they just didn't cover him in, in when he went to the United States. Okay. Uh, for like, they didn't know about him, didn't care about him for years. And then many years after he had won a gold and a bronze medal and they had put USA next to his name in the record books, um, the researchers came out and said, wait a minute, this guy was born in Canada. He's a Canadian. Those medals should belong to Canada. And then there was this sort of little announcement that was made saying, you know, George Orton, we've just discovered our, the first Canadian to win a gold medal was not this guy, but was this guy George Orton? Ah. We didn't know anything about him. And back in the early 70s, I think they put out a press release that maybe three people might have read and might have been a line somewhere in some newspaper, but probably not. And then completely lost to history, ended up in history's dustbin. Mm. And um, my son, who was a teenager at the time, had, uh, was reading about it in a trivia book, a great Canadian trivia book. And he said, hey, Dad, who was the first Canadian to win a gold medal? And I thought I knew the answer, and, and it wasn't. It was George Orton. Of course, I never heard of this guy. Google, yeah. nothing. Yeah. And how could I not know about this guy? I know everything about sports. Yeah. So I, I, it was like a personal affront to me. Like, how, how could I? Like, come on. What's the story behind this guy? How could I not know? Yeah. And if I don't know, like, how could anybody possibly know who this guy was? So, you know, I went and did some digging, some good, you know, uh, journalism, asked some questions and what the hell and met some dead ends and slowly and surely uh, found enough to uh, put a documentary together which was a uh, failed, a failed documentary. But somebody mm. who saw the trailer to it said, why don't you write a book? Yeah. So he wrote the book. Awesome. Yeah. Dundurn. Dundurn Press, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Now, you are also a music fan, and that's the reason why you're here today. I am. I think, um, geez, I, I kind of, I think most people I know that are sports fans have the same love of music. Mm. You know, maybe not to the same level as far as, wh- you know, there's some people really like hockey, for example, and don't know anything about basketball. Yeah. And in my case, I liked all sports and I can pretty much, you know, speak about just about any sport. And I think the same, I thought the same with music, that I'm pretty diverse mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to my love of different types of music, similar to sports. I can appreciate golf and tennis as much as hockey, football, baseball. Yeah. Well, I don't think most people are like that, but the ones that are, I appreciate people like that. Well-versed. Yeah. Yeah. Right? A little jazz chops here, a little classical there, a little country and western there, a little... You know, uh, reggae there, rock and roll. So, um, yeah, I kind of like that. So, um, yeah, I'm as, I th- I'm as big a music fan as I am a sports fan. Well, good. And your uh, your list here is uh, reflective of that fact. So, let's uh, let's kick it off. You've got King Crimson here with 21st Century Schizoid yeah. Man. Yeah. So that song's from 1969. So, in 1969, unless you were a Ray Bradbury or a Rod Serling fan or The Outer Limits, like what did what did uh, the 21st century? What was that going to be like? You know, mm-hmm. Too far away. And this song to me was the original and still is heavy metal song. Yeah. The word heavy metal comes from this song. I'm yeah. convinced of it. There was nothing like this before. And even people like Peter Townsend 
you know, was like, whoa, like, like when they first heard it, they just, you know, they're, they ripped, you know, ripped their eardrums out. Like it was spectacular. Yeah. Which is interesting because the bands at the time that you thought were representative of metal, Sabbath, even Blue Cheer, maybe Iron Butterfly. Yeah. Right. You never ever hear people talk about King Crimson as a heavy metal. No, and that's because it had these other influences. Where it was more than just straight rock and roll. It was boy, it was symphonic and it was scary. Yeah. It was like uh, it was like when you saw the movie The Exorcist. You'd never seen anything <laughs> like it. Yeah, when you saw it when you listened to this King Crimson album. Their first album was you'd never heard anything like it. Yeah, that was the thing. Like, what's that sound? Yeah, uh, and so it was. Uh, it was music to my ears that I had never heard before, and I was instantly captivated by by it. And you know, and uh, we I just saw them recently. I went with my brother. We we hadn't seen them in forty five years together. Oh wow! We'd seen them apart, but we went and saw them forty five years ago at Massey Hall. Oh cool! And I said, hey, you know, they're coming, and they were spectacular. They were amazing. And then we just like we did forty five years ago. We went for pizza afterwards and got <laughs> stupid and did a few other things. That's <laughs> it great. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was really good. Fripp in the band at that yeah, time? Oh, yeah. Fripp, well, it's Fripp's band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, anything that's, any like, uh, there's a band called 21st Century Schizoid Band, Yeah, which wasn't Fripp, but a bunch of guys who were in the band okay. for a while. Uh, but yeah, anything to do with King Crimson, that's him. Yeah. And he's very protective of his music, too. He, you can't, uh, you can't punch up uh, King Crimson on YouTube and get it. He won't. He won't allow for it. Oh, really? And on Spotify, I know that it was, um, and other music services, it was a real battle to be able to get his music, King Crimson's music, out mm, there. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of admire him for that. Like he's very protective, and his stuff is so unique. And and there's so many versions. I mean, he's boy. There's been a lot of recordings of King Crimson stuff. And remember, they didn't play together for I don't know 25 years. Yeah. Didn't uh, April Wine cover this too? Sure did. Yeah. And very well. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Uh, next tune, Traffic, the Low Spark of High Heel Boys. Yeah. This is 70... 71 or 72, one. I'm going to say, 72. Yeah. When I first heard it, I could barely hear it, and I had to turn up the sound on my stereo. Yeah. Because it starts, it's very, very low-key to begin with. And then it gradually increases in volume on the record. But at first, it's like, is this going? I think it was an eight-track tape, for example. It's like, is this on? Is this working? And it really builds to a just a fantastic song. Stevie Winwood is brilliant, mm. beautiful voice, and 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 you know I didn't realize it. A hell of a keyboard player, but a great guitarist too. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Really good because I I've watched this footage of it, uh, a concert they had done in Santa Monica in like '72, mm -hmm. and and there he's playing all these instruments. And Jim Capaldi's not even drumming. He's like just singing and playing tambourine and that. So they were really tremendous musicianship wow. on this. And really just a, a really cool song. Like I remember, you know, the first time I was with a girl and hearing this song and going, wow, this was really cool. And um, a long song as well. And, yes. uh, you know, it's just a wailing saxophone and a, just a, I don't know, it's hard to, it's hard to describe. It was very, a very sexy song. Mm -hmm. And a very kind of a slow, a methodical, languid yes. type of song that had these bursts in it that you were sort of waiting for. Really yeah. cool song, yeah. Yeah. And Traffic was a really cool band. I mean, Dave Mason, you know, originally Dave Mason was in the band. And, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And, um, uh, and then he left. But um, they became quite jazzy. And I think, like, Stevie Winwood was in Blind Faith before that yes. and was with... I guess Spencer Davis before that, but but he really came into his own as the lead voice of Traffic, and they had three or four great albums, yeah, like really good albums in the seventies, yeah, pretty underrated band, I think, definitely. Rolling Stones next. Can't you hear me knocking? 
Yeah, this song, when it first came out on Sticky Fingers, I didn't pay as much attention to it for two reasons. One, it wasn't played on the radio, mm. as I recall, uh, when it, uh, you know, when the album first came out. That was not a hit. Okay. But it became like an FM hit. It was a longer song, too, I think, seven or eight minutes. Well, they had that outro, right? With uh, Oh, you're talking Mick about Mick, Ta- well, Mick Taylor. Mick Taylor came Yeah, in. well, there's a two-parter. I mean, Mick, Ta- Mick Taylor is playing rhythm guitar in the first part of it while Keith plays. And right. then after Bobby Keys' saxophone solo, yes. then Mick Taylor comes in, Yeah, which, I th- which is fantastic. Now, the funny thing about this is that you mentioned it is that I had a conversation with Rob Baker of the Tragically Hip about this song. Okay. Because we were talking about it, and I said, uh, what's your favorite Stones clip? And I immediately said, oh, can't you hear me knock inside one, cut one? And he was like, oh, yeah. me too. Ah. Just like, you know, when you click like, me too. Yeah. What was it about it? And we were talking about it, and, he, and we are talking about the second part where Mick Taylor plays, and he goes, oh, I didn't know that was Mick Taylor. I'm going, yeah, if you listen really carefully, he's just playing some rhythm in the background of the first part. And then after the Bobby Keys, he, he starts to come in there, yeah. and it's really a really distinctive sound. And you're right, it was just, I think it was a couple of albums after Brian Jones. I think and, it, was, it was, yeah. It, and he didn't last that long, Mick Taylor, with the Stones, right? No, Before he Ron he, Wood came along. I think he was around for two records, right? Yeah. Because he played on XL after that. Yeah. But nobody paid any attention to him on Sticky Fingers. It was like, no. ah, the Stones were hot as hell. And, you know, he was like just another musician sort of on that. Like, like, like he was like Bill Wyman on that one. That's right. But he was really good on that. Anyway, I pointed that out to Rob and he said, oh, I didn't know that. And then he, we went back and listened to it carefully and he was like, because, you know, you're listening for a certain part of a song. Yeah. You're really in tune. You're not listening to, you just, and he was like, yeah, oh, yeah. I don't think that came out in the mix when you first heard it on AM radio or even FM, unless you had headphones on. You're right. listening to the whole song, but you weren't listening specifically. Yeah. So his guitar is really different, very different from Keith's. Yeah. Very tasty and. And you know what I love about those records, Habs, is that I, I've um, I'm kind of an audiophile, right? So I'll put speakers like on either side, channels, and I had Paradigm Phantoms at that time. Ooh. And so this is a great record for recognizing every instrument. Yeah. Right. You can hear every one and the space in between. Beautifully mixed. Yeah, really. Yeah, good. yeah you're right. The whole record is. But that particular song just struck me. Yeah. There's something about it, you know, that um, I, I could never not hear that song and say, I got to turn something else on. I, I listen to the whole song. And I know, you know, like you, like most people, you know, every riff and every little, you can play it all in your head. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, I thought about that too. I thought, you know, when I'm really old, really old, and maybe you don't have all my senses, you could put that record, that song on, you could give me an earphone or put it on. Yeah. And I think I could be in dire straits physically, mentally, yeah. spiritually, and I would hear that song and go, oh, and I would know everything about it and it would, it would boost me. I oh, think yeah. music, you know, something like that would, you know, if you were ever, if I was ever down or whatever, old or didn't know what was going on or god forbid you know had alzheimer's or whatever dementia you could play that song and i think that i'd be able to go yep that would just I think charge so. me yeah a quick story about the outro of that song apparently bobby keys kept playing at the end and everybody had put their instruments down and then mick taylor picked his up again and started to play and then the other guys in the band said okay we'll really playing. yeah and that's how that whole thing came about mm-hmm. it was completely improvised it was just one of those off. So it was supposed things. to end with Keys's saxophone solo, and they were going to fade yeah, it out or something fade for that effect, right? And then they just started jamming, and everybody had most of the guys had put their instruments down already. And then they they okay, we're going to keep playing, and then that whole thing came of that. So that was the one take. That was on the one take. Yeah, Apparently. no, that's brilliant. I know it's unbelievable. Wow, it's right? fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, yeah. Now, I'm, now, next time I listen to it, which I know. Be as soon as we end this recording, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go and listen to it. I got it right here on my on my uh, on my phone. Beautiful. I love that song. Okay, next you've got Los Lobos and Teresa. I didn't know about this song until a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, 
my good friend Jake Gold uh, turned me on to Los Lobos. I didn't turn me on to them. My brother did, my late brother. But I met them through Jake because they uh, were on the uh, another roadside attraction tour with the Tragically Hip back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know that much about them. I knew some about their music, but I didn't know that much about their music. And of course, you know, you start getting into the catalog of a band that you're just discovering, and it's wonderful. Yeah. And But this song wasn't anywhere near it. Uh, there wasn't any, I didn't even know what record this was on. And mm. so I heard them play it in concert, and I'd never heard it before. Okay. What's this song? And then I forgot to ask Steve Berlin or one of the I forgot to ask what it was, and or, or I'd asked, and they said, well, how does it go? And I'm going, and you know how you try to remember a song that was eight yeah. songs ago? Yeah. And you can't. You're, mm, it goes mm, like this, and they don't know. <laughs> and um, I sort of forgot about it, and then I heard them play it in concert again, and they didn't introduce the song, okay. and they didn't extra it either. That was Teresa. So I, I'm going, what's this song called? And I texted Steve one day with like the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> right. Goes like this. And he's like, uh, I don't, and he gave me a list of two or three songs. He's not sure, whatever. Yeah. And it was this song called Teresa, which yeah. is uh, just a fantastic, great jam. And they kind of, it sounds to me like the type of song you were just to ta- talking about with, um, the Stones, mm. where they kind of went, no, we can go on with this. This is good. We got yeah. a good jam happy. Steve, can you give me a sax solo here? And yeah. Hey, drum, you know, and hey, Cougar, can you play a little bit out of there? And, and before you know it, it's just this terrific, everyone's, grooving along to it and the crowd is up and swaying and so it was kind of like that but it's also the lyrics are beautiful dave hidalgo has a very sort of haunting voice Mm. and when he sings of like um relationships or the land or something like that he really he really speaks to me he's got a great voice and he's a really nice guy too Mm -hmm. so when he sings about this this girl it's like yeah you know you you cut you want to meet her you know what does she look like and you know you get an essence of this girl that he's singing about so it was, uh, yeah, it was really cool. I never really, I never didn't really ask about the background of it. I don't like asking songwriters mm. where they got the inspiration for the song, that type of a thing. Cause you know, it could just fall off the back of a truck and go, Hey, I just, but in this particular case, when it's a song about a woman, you, you got to believe that he, he or Louis Perez, who co-wrote the song ha- had some, they, they met this girl yeah. somewhere. They fell in love with this girl. There was something about this girl and they said, let's write about this particular. Hmm. girl so it's called Teresa it's, and I love the song yeah, and also too Louis Louis uh, Perez who plays and I can't think of the name what the instrument's called it's a smaller guitar yeah, Bajo Sexto is the bass the big bass but I'm trying to think what it's called it's a Spanish name but anyway it's a smaller guitar okay. and he strums it with his he make has acrylic fingernails on uh, his right hand yeah. instead of picks and he strums it man and it's like they're sharpened acrylic fingernails wow and it's fantastic that's oh, hilarious. it just gives me the goosebumps thinking about it. You know who else does that? Rick Emmett. He does? His entire right hand is all acrylic nails, and they're this long. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was on the show, and, and I, I, I saw that his thumb was long, because he was playing while yeah. he was talking about the song. Cool. And I said, oh, you you, uh, you grew out your thumbnail as a pick. And he said, no, no, no. It's acrylic. And I, it's like, <laughs> but he yeah. gets, he's got this goop that he puts on, and, and yeah. you know, and they're like nails, like, or like, uh, like you can, you yeah. know, they're, they're hard as rocks. But boy, what a great sound that comes oh, yeah. out of the guitar, huh? Yeah, he's got five picks there. Yeah. It reminded me of, I'm watching the World Series, and I see catchers nowadays, that in the right hands, they paint their fingernails so the pitcher can see how many fingers they've got down to give the sign. <laughs> like yellow or white or whatever. That's, you know, because the guy's peering in, maybe he's nearsighted or whatever, and he's trying yeah. to look 60 feet away. And yeah. he's like, what? Is that one or two? <laughs> and um, so it just reminded me of, the finger, of uh, fingernails. And, you know, it's funny, too, because now it's not uncommon to see men with... Yeah. Um, their fingernails done. That's I mean, right. I remember the story of Willie Mays where Tim McCarver said he had never seen a man with his nails buffed. That Willie Mays would get manicures and he'd have his nails buffed. He'd be up there 
before batting gloves, he'd be holding up the bat, yeah. and the catcher would go, man, look at your your nails are beautiful, man. Like, <laughs> it's really Mays. Those are beautiful nails you've got there. So I got off topic there a bit. but That's all right. <laughs> all right, your last tune is by the Tragically Hip, and it's Ahead by a Century. Yeah. Yeah, that's a special song. Um, I got to hear that song before they recorded that song. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Gord Downey, and Paul Langlois played it at Paul's sister's wedding. Oh. They did an a cappella version of the song. Wow. They, so it hadn't been, it, I mean, it hadn't been recorded yet, but obviously they were going to record, I guess they were going to, they knew they were going to record the song. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And, and yeah, Paul told me the story about it. And, uh, like I love the song anyway. Yeah. But yeah. I love the backstory and I got, and I got to kind of hear it. Yeah. That's great. You know, like a cool, like, oh, that's nice. It was, and it wasn't for my approval. It wasn't like, hey, what do you think? If I would have said I don't like it, it's not that they wouldn't, they wouldn't have recorded it or anything yeah. like that. But it was kind of nice to hear, you know, something. I think Jake did the same thing with me with Gift Shop. There's a raw recording from the same album, Trouble at the Hen House. Oh, wow. Where maybe there was a, I guess, you know, maybe they, they, there was a couple of uh, tracks or whatever. They say, let's go, there's a pre-release here and see, run it up the flagpole and see who salutes it and stuff like that. Yeah. But these guys had kind of done it. We were in, um, I think we were in California. Yeah, we were in California, I guess, and we're taking a cab. Jeez, if I'm not mistaken, Gord Downey actually paid for the cab. Mm. That's what I remember most about it. He paid <laughs> for the cab from Oakland to San Francisco. Oh, wow. And could we, you know, everyone went, and he's like, no, no, I got this one. And everyone, everyone really, Gord? Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but along the way, there, yeah, they were like, uh, oh yeah, we got this song here, and, and then, and then we had gone golfing or something the next, uh, the next day or a couple of days later, and, uh, yeah, they were singing um, "Ahead by a Century," and it's just beautiful, right? Wow! Oh yeah, yeah. Like in the back seat. Wow. Along and- wow. <laughs> See, I'd always heard that that song came of uh, an improvised. You know, when they used to improvise jam uh, New Orleans is sinking live. Yeah. A lot of songs came from those jams that they used to fool around with. Could were, well be. I, yeah. I'd always heard that. Could yeah. well be. But obviously, I mean, if you, I mean, just listening to it, it's like, you know, there, there's a great hook. Those are beautiful, oh, great yeah. lyrics, of course. And yeah. But Paul singing background in it really adds a, a great layer to it. Yes. You know, Paul's voice is a like very nasal, comparatively speaking, mm-hmm. very distinctive. Yeah. But also, it's always very soft in the background. That's right. He, he's not even maybe one quarter of Gord's voice as far as, you know, volume or. Whatever, yeah. but it just adds a really nice little texture to it. Yeah, and he's done that on, on other songs where there's a nice call and response, right? Yeah. And you think when you first hear it, you think, ah, is that, does that work? But it does work. Yeah. It's a bit nasally, but it works. For it some does, yeah. yeah. But, and again, like, you know, you can just imagine them sitting in the van or whatever and going, you know, here, how about this? You know, yeah. here, I got these lyrics here that I wrote. You know, Paul, can you sing this part here? Or, yeah, it sounds really, yeah, it's, it's a really nice and very, just very tender and very, um, I was surprised at how popular that song was mm-hmm. because you thought of the hip more as a, you know, rock and roll. And this was oh, a, yeah. like a, a beautiful ballad, lovely. Well, that's a great song. Like, yeah. that's a really great song. Yeah. And it, I think it was their most successful song. It went to number one, I believe. Can't speak to that, but uh, it's on my top five of all time. So it's, <laughs> it, it had to have been, yeah, it had to have been, right, had to have been right up there. That was a tough, listen, that's a tough call to pick five songs. Oh, it's impossible. You know, five different artists too. And, you know, just the hip alone, I'm like, oh man, there's tons. Like, oh, yeah. There's all kinds. But what, like what one song like really, like really stands out to me? Like, again, if I heard it, could I listen to it two or three times? And, yeah. you know, and again, that's hard to quantify. Like what makes it great? 
Is it a song that'll, if you're feeling down, it'll pick you right up? Yeah. Is it a song that if you hear it, you just turn it up loud? Yeah. Um, you know, does it bring, does it evoke memories? Yes. Of, you know, what were you doing when you first heard that song? Or what is it about that song that, that you're attaching a memory to it? That's it. So my yeah. memory was just hearing them, like hearing those two guys yeah. harmonize it for me, kind of personally in the backseat of a car or a cab or I forget. But anyway, that was pretty cool. That is so cool that you heard that. Yeah. Well, great way to finish off a great list, Hubs. This is awesome. Um, I'm really glad that you came in today. It was, it was great to have well, you. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for so bringing back the memories. Yeah, it was uh, It was a lot of fun. I got to go listen to those songs now. I got to. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you're welcome back anytime. So, you know, bring oh. five more in and we'll have another chat. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's when I'm going to work on the next five. That's that's tough. Awesome. I know. It, well, it's impossible just to do five. A lot of people come back and do another show. Yeah, you should do like a hundred. You should say like to whoever your guest, just go pick a hundred songs. We'll do a hundred, and then and then you just go through the rapid fire. It doesn't have to be an explanation after each one. Well, you do, it's kind of like you know, that, give me right? from a hundred to ninety. Like knock those off. Boom, 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 and boom. It doesn't have to be an explanation. Then when you get into the last ten, maybe yep. a bit more of an explanation. Okay, proposal. I'm going to ask you to do that. How about that? Let's do that next time when you come back. You got it. <laughs> All right, this has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Mark Hadzi Upshur. Till next time, folks. Take good care. Brent Jensen is the best selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury. Leftover people and all my favorite people are broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide. <laughs>